as we come to hear God's word. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we thank you for your word, the word that gives light and life. Lord, we pray that as we read it now, as you speak to us through your scriptures, that we would not just read and understand. Pray, Lord Jesus, would you change us? Would you shape us? Would you remove anything in us which is dishonouring to you? May we as individuals and we collectively as your church bring glory to you as we respond to your word this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, it's an honour to uh, open God's word for you. And as I thought about what I should say, what should I preach on for my first sermon, uh, lots of things came to mind. There are millions of things that we could read and that we could say this morning. But there's one thing that I want us as a church to be focused on throughout everything that we do. And so this morning I want to preach on just the first four verses of 1 Corinthians 15 as we reflect on keeping the gospel of the Lord Jesus at the centre of everything that we do. But a few years back, uh, before Janice and I had kids, uh, back when we were more fun, uh, we went out on an overnight hike in the Butterwangs down on the New South Wales south coast. And uh, this was a a loop track, an overnight uh, circuit. And the first day took us halfway around the circuit. The next morning we set off towards the east, which was the direction the track was meant to go. And as we continued along the track for about an hour and a half... We were making good time, the track was clear, until suddenly it turned south, where it should have been turning north. And so we started to backtrack, working out, had we missed a turn somewhere? And eventually we got all the way back to the camp that we had stayed at the night before, and we realised that there were actually two east tracks leaving the campsite, and we had obviously taken the wrong one. And so we were now three hours behind our schedule. Uh, We ended up finishing this hike in the dark and a little bit dehydrated. We had thought that we were setting off in the right direction. But one small error at the beginning led us far away from where we were meant to be heading. And you know what? It's the same for us here as a church. See, today marks a new beginning for us. It's the beginning of a new year, well, close to it anyway. It's the beginning of my ministry here in, in Noosa. And as we set out today on this new beginning, it is vital that we have our sights set on where we're heading. So we don't want to be a church just wandering around aimlessly. We don't want to continue on a path that's leading us in the wrong direction. And so this morning... As we pack up camp, as we set out on a new journey together, I want us to be people who are keeping our eyes fixed on the thing that defines who we are, the thing that dictates how we act, and the thing that determines where we're going. I want us to be focusing our attention on the gospel. And so to do that, we're going to take a look at these Four verses from the beginning of 1 Corinthians 15, a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in Corinth. 
And there are three things that we need to see from these verses. The first of them, right there in verse 1, if you've got a Bible, keep it open. 1 Corinthians 15 is where we're looking. Uh, Right there in verse 1, the the first thing that we see is that we all need reminding of the gospel. We need reminding. Now, Paul is writing to Christians here. He calls them brothers and sisters there in verse 1. If you flick back to chapter 1 of his letter, he addresses the letter to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people. See, these are Christians that Paul is writing to. And a Christian is, by definition, someone who knows and believes the gospel. You can't be a Christian and not know the gospel. It's a contradiction. And yet 15 chapters into a letter written to people who know the gospel, Paul decides that he needs to remind them of the gospel. And so in verse 3, he explains it to them. What is the gospel? Well, the thing that Paul wants to remind the Corinthians of, the thing that he delivered to them as a matter of first importance, is that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised again on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Now, obviously, there's, there's more that could be said about the gospel, but if you boil it down, that is the essence of the good news. If you're here with us this morning and you're new to Christianity, this is the good summary for you. This is the core of our message. The gospel is the announcement The good news that Jesus Christ died for sins and rose again. It's simple. A child can understand it. And yet Paul knows that it's so important that 15 chapters into a letter written to people who already know the gospel, he feels the need to remind them of it. And he says this because we all need reminding of the gospel. You could have been a Christian for five decades. You could be a Christian for five minutes. We all need reminding of the gospel. Why is that? Because our default mode of operation is to functionally deny the gospel or to forget it. We might know it in our heads, but we think and we speak and we act as if we don't know it. Our natural instinct is to deny the reality of the gospel and the implications that it has on our lives. Let me show you what I mean. I want you to think in your head about some of the problems that you encounter each day. The difficulties, the conflicts. Think of a specific example. Maybe you had a fight with your wife or your husband on the way to church this morning. Not pointing the finger at anyone, but maybe that was you. Maybe you had an argument at the shops this week or in a car park or on the phone with Telstra. Maybe you have a recurring argument with your daughter or with your parent. Think of a specific conflict in your life. You've got one in your head? Now answer me this question. Whose fault was it? Was the fight caused by you or by the other person? I know the answer. It was their fault, wasn't it? 
just like the time before, and the time before that, and the time before that. It was always their fault. It is always someone else's fault. Isn't it astounding how often everyone else can be so wrong? It's the same when you're driving and you nearly hit someone, or really what happens is that they nearly hit you. It's always their fault. It's the same reason that your boss can never do anything right. It's the same reason why the government keeps making blunders. It's because everyone else is wrong except you. Now, perhaps that is true. Maybe you're the only person who always makes right decisions and always does everything perfectly. Maybe it's because everyone else is stupid and doesn't understand. But what I think is far more likely is that there is something wrong with you too. You see, our default factory setting leads us to see that we are the supreme standard of rightness and goodness in the world. Our natural instinct is to think that there's something seriously wrong with this world and it's their fault. That's why every childhood argument begins with, she started it. It's why every fight between a husband and wife features the line, if you would just... You can fill in the blank. Deep inside, all of us think that we are right. That our ideas are better than other people's. That our motives are pure. That our actions are faultless. If heaven and hell were decided by averages, that is, if you lined everyone in the world up with the worst people at one end and the best people at the other, and the top half went to heaven and the bottom half went to hell, all of us think that we're in the top half. Everyone thinks that they are better than average. And you don't need to be a math genius to know that 100% of people can't be better than average. And you see, we Christians, we're particularly prone to this kind of thinking. We've embraced our identity as the goodies of society. We're the people who don't lie or steal or cheat. We're the people who love and care for others. Which is exactly what we should be. Don't hear me speaking against that. But it's also a very, very slippery slope towards arrogance. It's one thing to be moral, but it's quite another to look down on others as being worse as being sinners. See, when we do that, we become like the Pharisees in Jesus' parable who considers himself worthy of God's love. It's thinking like this that leads us to pray, thank you, God, that I am not like other people. You see, our natural instinct is to think of ourselves as good, to think that we are mostly right, To think that we are, in fact, better than others. And the gospel flips that on its head. See, we operate as if we are the standard of morality that everyone else should be compared to. The gospel teaches us that God sets the standard and none of us measure up. We think that there is something wrong with the world and they caused it. The gospel teaches us that there is indeed something wrong with this world and we are all to blame. 
We operate as if our own goodness and morality make us acceptable to God. The gospel teaches us that nothing we can do can make us acceptable to God. You see, our default, our natural instinct is to be proud, to be self-sufficient, to think that we don't need God. The gospel smashes through those lies. Which is why Paul seeks to constantly remind the Corinthians of the gospel. And it's why we need to constantly remind each other of the gospel too. We need to remember that Christ died for sins because that's what our sins required. He didn't just die for other people's sins. He died for my sins. He died for your sins. And our sin was so bad that the only thing that could fix it was the death of a perfect man. My sin put Jesus on the cross. Your sin is why he bled and died. Do you believe that? Do you believe that if you were the only person in the world that had ever sinned, that it was enough for Jesus to have to die to fix it? You see, we need reminding of the gospel because we need to remember that we are so flawed that Jesus had to die for us. But more than that, we need reminding of the gospel because we need to remember that we are so loved that Jesus was glad to die for us. We need reminding of the gospel because we're prone to forgetting We forget how unlovely we are, and yet we forget how loved we are. And so friends, as we set out on this new adventure together, let's be reminding each other of the gospel. The Corinthians need reminding, you need reminding, I need reminding. So let's be a church that reminds each other of the gospel. Now, we need reminding of the gospel. The second point that we see here in these verses is that we need to stick to the gospel. It's not enough for us to just remember the gospel. We need to hold on to it for dear life. Which means that the Christian never moves beyond the gospel. The gospel that Paul preached and that the Corinthians received in verse 1 is the same gospel in which they now stand And it's the same gospel that will save them if they stick with it. You see, it was past, they received it. It's present, in which they now stand. And it's future, it's the thing that will save them. And the point here is simple, but it really needs repeating. None of us will ever graduate beyond the gospel. We'll never move beyond it in this life, at least. The message that you received when you first became a Christian is the same message that you need to hear today And it's the same message that you need to hear tomorrow and every day after that. And we must never move beyond it. Now, Paul wouldn't need to make this point if we weren't tempted to move beyond the gospel. And again, this is a particular danger for Christians who have been Christians for a long time. Because the longer you walk in your journey of faith, the greater the temptation will be to start seeing yourself as an expert, as a mature Christian, 
And you'll be tempted to move beyond the basics of the gospel to something deeper, something more profound. But Christian maturity isn't achieved by growing out of the gospel. No, it's actually the opposite. The mature Christian is the one that realises that even after decades of being in church, that you still need to hear that simple message that Jesus bled and died for you, a sinner. Our pride makes us think that we need something more, but if we leave the gospel behind, we haven't gained anything. We have just lost everything. Leaving the gospel behind is like thinking the grass is greener on the other side when you're in the botanic gardens and next door is a rubbish dump. It seems unthinkable. None of us would ever think that we would move beyond the gospel, and yet it is, sadly, quite common. Consider my friend Emily. Emily thought she would never move beyond the gospel. Emily loved church. She was determined to show the love of Jesus to the poor and the oppressed and the marginalised. Now, Emily did community work with at-risk youth. And it was actually in the course of doing this kind of work that she decided that what people needed wasn't an institution like a church. It wasn't an ideology stuffed down their throats. She decided that what these at-risk teenagers really needed was support to forge their own path to be whoever they wanted to be. Now, Emily still championed the Jesus who loved and cared for the poor, but she started to distance herself from the Jesus who called people to repent, to recognise their sin, to follow him. You see, Emily actually left the gospel behind in small steps But now she believes and preaches a message that sends people straight to hell. Consider my friend Katie. Katie grew up in church. She received the gospel as a child. But her friendships with non-Christians started to hold greater hold on her life. She started to hold certain aspects of the gospel a little more loosely. Now, no one in church really noticed as Katie started kind of ditching Jesus' teaching about wealth and possessions, as she exchanged a lifestyle of generosity and sacrifice for one of self-indulgence and greed. No one really noticed that because we're all a little bit blind to that in the Western church. But slowly over time, Katie also started to distance herself from Jesus' teaching on relationships and sex and sexuality. And so today, Katie still calls herself a Christian, but the God she worships is a God who accepts everyone just as they are. And so Katie effectively says that there's no such thing as sin. She left the gospel behind, and now the God that she hopes in is a figment of her own imagination. Or maybe you know someone like Tom. Tom got frustrated with hypocritical Christians whose lives looked just like everyone else's. Tom was determined to be better. And so while Tom's pursuit of holiness was a good thing, it led to Tom being quite proud in his moral excellence. He would never say it, but it became clear that Tom's identity was not that of a saved sinner, 
but of a righteous person who had no need for a saviour. He left the gospel behind and he exchanged it for righteousness through works. But his good works won't save him. Now maybe you know an Emily or a Katie or a Tom. Maybe you've seen people move beyond the gospel in other ways. But what I want us to see is that it's so easy for us to follow in their footsteps. In fact, it's easier to move beyond the gospel than it is to stick with it. Because we're like someone clinging to a life ring in the middle of the ocean, and for some reason, our natural instinct is to ditch the life ring and go and try and swim to safety in our own power, instead of waiting to be rescued. Our pride somehow convinces us that we don't need Jesus We don't need a saviour. We need to fight against that instinct. We need to remember that we're in a fight with our sinful nature. Because the moment that we forget it is when we're in the greatest danger. Earlier on in this letter, Paul wrote this warning to the Corinthians. He said, so if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. It's when you think that you won't fall that you're most in danger of falling. And so if you think you wouldn't be tempted to move beyond the gospel, please be careful. Because it's then that you're most likely to leave it behind. It's when you're cruising through life, when you're not confronted with your sin when you're being careless in your relationship with Jesus, that you're most likely to let go of the only thing that can possibly save you. Hear the warning in this passage. It's a legitimate warning. The danger is real. But at the same time, see the hope that Paul holds out in verse 2. Have a look at it. Because he says, by this gospel, the one they received, the one in which they now stand, he says, by this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. If you stick with the gospel, you will be saved. If you keep holding on to that life ring, you have nothing to fear. If you keep remembering that you are a sinner that has been rescued, forgiven, adopted, dearly loved by your Lord Jesus, your future is secure. You have nothing to fear. You are safe. But friends, this morning you'll have noticed that the gospel does not come naturally to us. We easily forget it. We easily leave it behind. We easily chase after other things which distract us. And so if we're going to be a church that sticks to the gospel, that keeps reminding each other of the gospel, well, we're going to actually have to work hard at that. And that brings us to our third and final point. We need to prioritise the gospel. We need reminding of the gospel. We need to stick to the gospel. We need to prioritise the gospel. Because take a look at what Paul said about his ministry to the Corinthians in verse 3. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, 
that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, that he was raised. But did you see it? It was as of first importance. When Paul planted a church in Corinth, there were a million things that he could have said and done. He could have focused his attention on finding a building to meet in. He could have focused his attention on appointing elders. He could have focused his attention on feeding the poor in Corinth or trying to influence the local government. And all of those would have been good things to do. All of them are important. But the thing that was of primary importance, the thing that got the most of his energy, the best of his time, was sharing the gospel. His number one priority was to deliver to the Corinthians the good news that he himself had received, that Christ died for sins and rose again to offer new life. That was the thing that he preached. That was what just flowed out of him any time he spoke. And so if we're going to be a church that keeps the main thing the main thing, if we're going to keep the gospel at the centre of everything that we do, we need to treat gospel proclamation as a matter of first importance. Which means we actually need to be deliberate in the choices that we make about what we as a church will do. Because there are countless good things that we can do. A million good things that we as a church could spend time on and energy on and money on. They could be important things. But we need to keep the gospel the main thing. Because sitting in this room this morning is a group of people who need to hear the gospel again and again and again. We've just seen that. We all need reminding of the gospel. Men and women, young and old, we all need to be reminded of the gospel. But while there might be 50 or so of us here inside right now, look out that window. And you'll see some of 55,000 people living in the Noosa Shire who also need to hear this good news that we know. They need to know of the Saviour who died to rescue them. 55,000 people who need the hope that we have. 55,000 people who are facing God's wrath at sin. And yet we know the solution. We know the fix. We know the only thing that can fix their problem. Because it's the thing that fixed our problem. So let's make it our priority. Let's make it a matter of first importance. To deliver to them what we ourselves have received. Well, friends, this is a new beginning for us. As I begin my time with you, as we step out into 2021, it's my hope and my prayer that we would keep the gospel at the centre of everything that we do. And so let's remind each other of the gospel. And that means you remind me of the gospel too. Let's remind each other of the gospel that we first received, the thing that we believe, the thing that actually makes us who we are as a church. Let's stick to that gospel. Let's never move beyond it. Let's call each other out where we see ways that we might be tempted to leave it behind. 
Let's persevere to the end in that gospel. And let's make it a matter of first importance. Let's prioritise the proclamation of the good news that Jesus Christ died for sins and rose again to offer new life. We're going to preach it to each other. We're going to preach it to ourselves. We're going to take that wonderful news out into the Noosa Shire. But if we're going to do that, we're going to need God's help. So let's pray and ask that he might, by his spirit, help us keep the gospel at the centre. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we are so prone to wandering. We are so quick to forget. We're so proud to think that maybe we don't need you. And so, Lord, this morning we ask that we as individuals and we collectively as your church would keep the gospel at the centre. May it be the thing that we focus on, the thing that we prioritise, the thing that we cling to every day. Remind us of our need for a saviour, that our sin was so bad that Jesus had to die for us. But remind us of your great love, that Jesus was glad to die for us. Lord, establish us in this faith. Help us stick firmly to it, and may you use us as heralds of this news. May we take this good news of salvation in Jesus out into our families, into our streets, into our neighbourhoods, out into the world. Lord, we pray that through us, others might see the goodness of the gospel of our Lord Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.